Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Today we have a wonderful show for you with the incredible Don Winslow. We talk all about writing characters that are, you know, neither good guys nor bad guys, but that you kind of fall in love with and the sweeping epic that he is in the middle of uh, writing and publishing and how this story is connected to ancient Greek literature. I think you'll find it fascinating. Stories come from all sorts of places, and this is a great conversation with Don. Be sure to stop by storycraft.cafe, sponsored by Dabble, the very best writing software on the market. I think you'll love it. Stop by Storycraft Cafe, find out all about upcoming events, and find your writing tribe. Now on to our show. And we're live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner. And today I am super excited, super excited to have Don Winslow on the show with me. He's got a brand new book that just released yesterday. It's called City of Dreams. It is the follow-up to last year's City on Fire, one of my favorite books of the year last year. And the the story continues. Uh, I'm super excited about this book and uh, so glad that it's finally released to the world as of yesterday when you're hearing this, if you're watching the live. And uh, what an awesome book. Thanks for joining me again, Don. Hank, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Um, Don, if if folks, uh, you know, didn't pick up the book last year and they're just kind of coming into the series, yeah. um what would kind of give them the elevator pitch of what this series is about and sure. we'll talk specifically about this new book here in a minute but but what's the world that people are are getting into yeah basically they're they're getting into the world of of a guy named Danny Ryan and a bunch of other people but let's start with Danny Danny is uh starts life in the first book as a longshoreman with sort of one foot in the Irish mob and uh, ends up fighting with the Irish mob against the uh, Italian mafia in New England, uh, loses that war. Uh, and as a result, as we come into book two, is forced to flee Rhode Island and uh, with his aging father and, and his infant son and uh, make his way across country to the West Coast. <laughs> and, you know, um with the change of setting for this book or the addition of setting, let's, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, there's a slight tonal shift to the book. The, the, the East coast setting and the West coast setting feel very different in the book. Um, oh, good. Was, yeah. was that something that you set out? Was that intentional? Certainly something I aspired to. Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean, traditionally in, in particularly in American culture, you know, our, our sort of legends uh, about reinventing ourselves generally involve Western migration. Mm 
right you know, historically and and california particularly is is famous for a place that you go to recreate yourself and then that that sort of you know quadruples when you consider hollywood the dream right. factory which is really where we invent our our images of ourselves and so you know the the first book being said almost exclusively in rhode island um has and needed to have that sort of new england gray uh colder kind of feeling about it and then when you get out to sunny california and and danny's discovering it you know as a guy who's never been there then there needed to be a tonal shift to yeah. adjust to that something brighter something maybe a little faster you know there there's something interesting about uh, life in the Northeast specifically where you get actual winters and, uh, yeah. you know, as opposed to down South where I live right. or out West, as you yeah. referenced earlier, there's the, the weather, um, affects life in general as, as you would expect, but the, the kind of, um, there, there's a difference in attitudes almost there, there's a, uh, it's almost an immediacy about the Northeast, and maybe it's because of the cold, and mm -hmm. and I, there's just a uh, it it just feels like more. Um, I'm I'm grasping for words and I can't find the word that I want, but it ju it just feels like there's more of a hurry. There's more of an immediacy is the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. Well, it's cold out and you want to get inside. <laughs> right. As opposed to out West where things are a little slower, you know, kind know. of more yeah. laconic. Yeah. And yeah. I was just, you know, I'm in San Diego at the moment. Uh, uh, prior to our interview, I was just out on the little balcony here at the hotel in the sunshine, you know, uh, in New England, you don't do that a lot, right? <laughs> you know? Right. And uh, and I, I think you know we used to joke that uh, about a, a land so rocky that it cost you fifty dollars to bury your cat. You know <laughs> that that you're you're coming from an area where people literally scratched a living out of the soil, um, and, and then you had you know, um, and in the case of of Danny Ryan's family, you know, uh, an, an Irish background. That was somewhat similar, you know, of, of digging potatoes until the, the potatoes ran out, yeah. um, you know, and it's also I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, in an environment where it can be gray for months, you know, it definitely affects your mood. Right. You know, um, yeah. So as, as a writer, when when you have these. Um, feelings that you want to convey to the reader. Um, what sorts of uh, imagery do you grasp for to to let the reader feel the difference between East Coast and West Coast, for instance? Yeah, I, I try to do it with as few brushstrokes as you will, if possible, as possible, rather. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you can try to write sort of lyrically about it, uh, that's not typically my style. I, I would rather give you a, the color, the bottle green ocean in the North Atlantic versus the blue Pacific. Right. Uh, I think that that, that says something. I, I think I use a sentence in maybe the first book, Providence, Rhode Island, is a gray city, you know. And, and so I don't. 
I don't want to burden the reader with a lot of description or a lot of adjectives. I want to maybe try to just put them on the scene, give them maybe two or three what I hope are vivid images and hope that gets the work done. Well, one thing that you have done is you have colored this setting, um, this landscape with with people, um, there, there's a lot of characters uh, in these books, um, and a lot of the um, the the feeling of the city of the place comes through in the characters. Um, it what, what's your what are your thoughts about creating characters that then well, convey that feeling of setting? I, I think characters and setting are almost indistinguishable. I, I don't know that you can have one without the other because we all come from somewhere and, and, and those environments impact so heavily who we are. You know, there are a lot of people in these books, you know, these, these books are a modern retelling of the Iliad and the Aeneid and the Odyssey, which are heavily populated, you know, with, right. with both human beings and gods. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, Again, I mean, I think when you, you place an individual character in a specific place and have him or her react to it, you, you get this kind of double effect, you know, where hopefully what you're saying about the character helps inform the, the locale and what you say about the locale informs the character. Yeah. I, I think the last time we talked, uh, Don, you mentioned this retelling of the Odyssey of the Iliad. Um and uh, I, I was thinking about that earlier. It, it, in your mind, when you take on a project like this, do you start thinking of ways to connect a new story to this older archetypal story? Do you start looking for direct ways to connect yeah. it? Or yeah. what, like when you take on a retelling of something, what does that mean to you? Well, in this case, it meant that it took me 28 years to write the trilogy, <laughs> you know, because it took a while, um, years, to um, come up with all those ideas. Some of them were quite easy. Others were, were much more difficult. You know, there's a character, Danny's mother, Madeline, um, who, if you go back to the classics, is the goddess Aphrodite. Who would that be in Providence, Rhode Island in 1988? That that took a while to come up with. Uh, what would a Trojan horse be? You, you obviously can't bring a big wooden horse you right. know, into the neighborhood and have troops spill out of it. And so, pardon me, I have a bit of an allergy as well. Sorry. Um so that that took years to do, but but also that was the, the fun of it, you know, uh, was to try ideas that didn't work. And I have hundreds of pages of those, you know, where <laughs> where the delete key got hit, where where my ideas didn't work, um, you know, uh, to come up with the ideas that did. Uh, you know, let me give you an example, you know. Um, from this book, from the present book, uh, in the Aeneid, Aeneas is shipwrecked on the shores of Carthage and he washes up uh, on the beach and he, he walks into a cave and he sees murals and he's shocked that they are murals of his past, of the Trojan Wars, sees himself, his friends, you know, as, uh, what would the modern equivalent of that be? And, and I, I came up with movies. You know, Danny, Danny gets to Hollywood and he's on the set of the movie that is about partially about him. You know, he meets the actor that plays himself. That was a real kind of fun kind of modern equivalent to do. 
When, when you talk about writing a passage uh, or uh, a portion of the book and it and it not working and then backing up and, and finding a new way to tell that, um, I, I think that that sort of thinking intimidates a lot of people uh, who maybe think of writing as more structured and that in the beginning they need to really plan out exactly how the story is going to go. Yeah. Um, how do you think about, you know, the, the working and reworking the, the toiling, if you will, over a passage or a storyline until it gets right? Well, it's what we do. That's our job. You know, listen, I mean, there, I think there, there are two major schools of thoughts about this and neither is right or wrong. It just suits the individual. A lot of people are very heavy outliners, you know? And, and plan everything out before they, they commence to write. And that, that's one really good way of doing it. It's not my way. Uh, I don't like doing that because I, I want to be open to the possibility of surprises. You know, sometimes my characters will do and say things I, I never intended, certainly on a conscious level. Yeah. And, and that might take the, the story into a whole different direction, which is usually better uh, than the one that I had planned or thought about. Having said that, with this trilogy, you know, I had a rough roadmap. Because I'm following the Aeneid and the Odyssey sure. and the Iliad and the Greek tragic drama. So I, I knew in a rough sense, you know, what Aeneas, Danny, needed yeah. to do. Again, the, the real problem and the challenge and the fun was in finding the modern equivalents to those, you know, and, and the ones that worked. And I, and I wrote some that really hideously did not work. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you save any of those things that didn't work? No, 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 no. You, you got, you know, I mean, listen, you know, uh, there are, there are all sorts of legends out of history of, of, of explorers setting out and, and, you know, landing on a beach and then burning the boat. So there's no possibility of them going back. And I, and love I that think, analogy. you know, in, in my sense, I had to burn those boats. Um. You said that this trilogy has taken you twenty some odd years mm -hmm. um, to to accomplish. You, it's obviously not the only thing that you've been working on for twenty right, right, some right, odd yeah. years because you have a very accomplished uh, back catalog of well, of other books that that you have published. Mm -hmm. um, when you have a story like this that is kind of this this big project hanging out there, how do you juggle? the the current project that you are publishing uh, with this kind of um, passion project, if you want to look at it. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Um, listen, I had to set this down, you know, and 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 focus almost exclusively on those other things. You know, I wrote three rather large books about drug trafficking. Right. Which were totally absorbing. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, sort of late afternoon, I might, you know, go and, you know, <laughs> bring up, you know, Danny and and see where I was at with it. If I had any other ideas, sometimes that was a discouraging process. Sometimes I looked at it and I thought, no, this is a mess and it, it's not going to work at all. And I, I don't have the talent to pull this off, you know, so uh, that, that was kind of it. And then late in my career, you know, and I'd finished that drug trilogy. I did a book called The Force and I did a, a, a book of novellas that I'd been wanting to do. And then I thought, okay, you know, I think now's the time to just really pick this up. Uh, 
and and see if I can make it work. In the um, subsequent quarter century, uh, if if we're putting <laughs> wow. it in, in real <laughs> terms, about it. Thank you. I'm just going to take drop a nap that. right now, and I'll be back with you in a minute. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to drop that on you like that. Um, <laughs> but um, the the world has changed quite a bit. Technology has changed quite a bit. Sure. Um, you know, did did your um, concept of the story change as the times changed? No. Uh, actually not. Um, you know, I, I, from the beginning, I had the time frame that I wanted this book set in for really tactical reasons. Yeah. I knew where we were going to end up. And so I wanted to end up in a certain time frame um, in the, the late 1990s uh, to it. So I wasn't, or the book wasn't affected by a lot of the technological changes, right? That, that we've because seen that, so that's passed now, and yeah, you know, set is set. Yeah, exactly. And and so, um, you know, every once in a while, maybe you're tempted to say, "Okay, let me set it right now," but it would not have made sense in terms of American criminal history, right? Right. I, I you know, you you want to anchor these things somewhat in reality, even though they're based on you know myths. Um, although, the, you know, the Trojan War was apparently a real thing, um, you know, and so, no, it, it really didn't affect me. And but but then you had to remember, you had to go back and think, oh, this is 1991. What existed then and what didn't exist then? Right. And, right. and a, a lot of times what did not exist uh, is a powerful tool in the author's hands, uh, because I know a lot of crime slash mystery slash thriller writers that are more and more setting uh, books in the recent past to erase a lot of the uh, conveniences of technology that we have now that, you know, that would, that would make a lot of these mystery stories kind of unravel when you could just text someone on your phone or use your GPS. Exactly. You know Um, yeah. You know, I mean, how many plots would, would have survived the cell phone? Exactly. You know, if if you did Raymond Chandler, you know, or, or some of the other, you know, those those folks, how many plots would survive the the advent of very sophisticated DNA analysis? You know, now now some of those things make for great plots and great stories, particularly you know in the more procedural ends, yeah, you know, of, of this business where you know you can track the person because they're stupid enough to bring their cell phone along on their crimes. I, I, you know, I, I was, we, you know, my wife likes these true crime television shows. And sometimes I watch them with them, and I'm thinking, why the hell do you guys bring your cell phone along? Right. Or or now, I mean, I have a a, a smart watch. You know, that right. I do too. You man. leave your you leave your cell phone at home and your watch is still, you know, playing right. cell towers. It's crazy, you know? Yeah. You know, and so if you're going to go kill somebody, maybe leave that stuff at home. You know? Right. Right. Find a giant Faraday suit or something to wear. Something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when you start thinking about a new book, Don, uh, you know, if we're talking about the the city trilogy in mm-hmm. you know specifically, but you can yeah. think about this in more general terms if you want. Um, do do you do you start thinking like in the very beginning where the story is born? Are you thinking kind of big story concepts? You know, I would like to tell a story 
like the Iliad, um, you know, and then, you know, start kind of casting that out um, or, or does a character like Danny mm-hmm. just kind of pop in your mind? And you're like, Oh, who is this guy? And, and what would he be about? Yeah. Kind of both, you know, okay. it, it depends on the book, but let's talk about this trilogy and Danny specifically, you know, uh, I wrote the first sentence of this trilogy 28 years ago and it hasn't changed a bit. Wow. In 28 years, because I had that strong image of Danny, you know, watching this woman come out of the water, not knowing, but sort of sensing subconsciously that it was going to change everything. Mm-hmm. That to me was a real intriguing idea. Uh, but then I, you know, I knew it was going to be part of the Aeneid. I knew I had that roadmap, you know, t- to roughly follow. And so I, I pretty early on in the process started to think about those big ideas, those big concepts, you know. I always knew the book was going to be a trilogy because both Aeneas's life and, and therefore Danny's life fell into three distinct phases. Right. You know, and I knew I wanted to do that as opposed to writing one sort of thicker, longer volume in three parts. Um, and so, yeah, I, I always had it in mind, you know, where is this guy headed? Where are all these characters headed? You know, and where did they come from? That to me was a real interesting part. You know, we, you pick up the Iliad, we forget it. It starts in the middle of things and it ends in the middle of things. Right. Right. In, in Medi Ares. And so I, um, I was intrigued by who these people were before we meet them in the Trojan Wars. What were their backstories, to use a, a modern concept, which became very important in terms of, of writing modern characters, how did Cassandra get to be Cassandra? Right. Right. How did Madeline get to be Madeline? And then also, you know, in, in the second and third books of this trilogy, what happened to him after the war? Right. How do you, in, in a very practical sense, how do you manage uh, a story this size? Because it is, you know, I, I've seen a lot of things online, you know, a modern epic and, um, it, it it truly is epic in scope, um, you know, not just the, the literary, um, you know, label of epic, but it, it's literally epic. It's a huge story with lots of characters and lots of locations. Um, how do you how do you manage all that? Do, do you have a story Bible that you're no. working from? Is it just all exist in your head? Exist in my head. Um, I, uh, listen, I spent literally years reading and rereading and rereading those classics. I took online college courses in them, you know, until those stories became second nature. And then you spend a lot of time thinking about your characters, your version of it, until those characters are second nature, until you feel that you know them so well, you know what I mean? That you you know what they're going to say and and how they're going to react. Uh, And, you know, I, and so I knew the beats of these stories. I just did. Now, the, the, you know, the, the, the structural practical challenge was arranging them. When do you cut away from Danny to go to Chris Palumbo, who's Odysseus, right. right? You know, at what point do you want to bring a different plot line in, you know, and, and bring some of the older characters back? introduce new characters. So that, that was more the issue. And and that was more the tougher part of moving those pieces around, you know, to see, to see where they worked, but no, you know, I, I just keep it in my head. 
when you published the the first book um, last year, l- last summer, uh, City on Fire, mm-hmm. when you published that book, did you have book three finished? No, I don't think so, but I was pretty close. Okay. If what, memory what, serves, you what know. Gave, what gave you the confidence at that time to go ahead with publishing this series, because if you put out book one, you know, the, and, and you know that it's going to have the impact that it's going to have, the readers are going to be demanding those follow-ups. Yeah. Um, what gave you the confidence to, that for this story that you've, you know, held on for, for 25 years or right. better? Yeah. When, with a lot you know, of doubt. When, when did you realize that, okay, this, this is ready now where it had not been in the past? Yeah, yeah. Around the time the first book came out, I think, you know, um, I finished the first book and I thought, okay, I I think I can do this. You know, Uh, the second book was was extremely difficult, as second books tend to be, by the way. Right. Uh, But I had those great stories that I could borrow from. You know, yeah. Dido and Aeneas and, and you know, the Oresteia and all of those things. And so, uh, but I was lost in the weeds on book two for years, mm. for years. And then, but while I was doing that, I was thinking about book three, like what, you know, Aeneas goes on and finds Rome. What the hell is that going to be? Right. You know, my answer was eventually Las Vegas. Uh, in, in a certain era, which is why yeah. the, the time thing of this was so critical. Confidence, you know, confidence is a funny thing. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I'm that confident now. You know? Well, um, well having those other books that you published that were, you know, uh, the um, that were such successes that, that had to do do something for your confidence, you know? Yeah, sure, you, sure, sure. That helps. Yeah. You know, but I mean, listen, and I, I think any writer experiences this on any given morning, you know, when when you go in to do that, you you might think this might be the day I hear the scraping of the bucket at the bottom of a dry well. <laughs> yeah. Right. You yeah. know, and and it's it's over. But, I, you know, hopefully, look, you get better at what you do. Yeah. You know, with experience and, and over the years. And, and I think I could probably handle language better. And handle story better, and and particularly in, a, in an epic like this, handle structure better. Uh, and and so you know, at, at some point you take a leap of faith, you know, based on some of that, and and you jump. The uh, I like to say uh, that the the blank page is the great equalizer. It, it doesn't matter how many New York Times bestsellers you have. Right. When, when you start a new book, everybody stares at the exact same blank page. No, exactly that. And listen, it's not just starting the new book, you know, starting chapter 14. Right, exactly. Right? You know, you <laughs> might come to that point where you've been, man, this thing's kicked my butt for years and now I'm trying it again, you know, and, and you come to those moments where you're staring into, I guess it's a black screen anymore as opposed to a page, but uh, right. You know, but but listen, Hopefully again, the metaphor still holds, but it yeah. absolutely holds. But you, you, <laughs> you uh, I found the thing to do is just start typing. Yeah, because you can always fix it. You you're know, right. it, it's it's not like you're you're you know, you're not an emergency room doctor operating on a kid. 
right? You, we can make mistakes and do all the time, you know. And right. and I, listen, I I know that on days when it's not going well, I should keep writing badly because sometimes I have to write 10 or 12 bad pages before I write that one good sentence that then opens it up. Right. 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 And, you know. and what's the old adage? It, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to edit a bad page than a blank page. You know, absolutely. at least you've got something to work from. No, absolutely. You know, I, I often quote the old saying, which is also apparently reminiscent of, of Michelangelo, but there's a, an old self-defense martial arts saying, how do you carve a tiger? And, and the answer is you take a big block of wood and you cut away everything that doesn't look like a tiger. Right. <laughs> but that's great. Sure. But first you have to have the big block of wood. And, exactly. and that block of wood, a lot of times, is a lot of mistakes and a lot of bad writing. Yeah. Um, book two of a trilogy is, is a unique um, – is a unique thing. Beginnings are one thing, endings are another, but that middle um, is is something entirely different because yeah. uh, as a book, it needs to have its own structure and, and ebbs and flows like every book does. You need yeah. to have high points and low points and you right. need to have a beginning and you need to have a resolution, yep. but it doesn't need to be an ultimate resolution because we have a whole nother book that needs right. to be the series resolution. Exactly. But it, it can't just be a bridge. Right. Right. Exactly. Because when it's just right. a bridge, it just feels like filler. And then, yeah. You know, and you're cheating the reader. Exactly. Right. If you're exactly. saying to the reader, Hey, book one and book three or you know, you're going to love, but you know, in between there, we got to go to book two. You shouldn't write book two. You should just write book one and book three and right. tell them very quickly what might have happened if you had written book two. Right. Mm. Um, that is a great. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that, you know, yeah that, like, like why do it? it? Right. There's no reason for it. And, and, and there's no reason to inflict that on, on a reader. You know, you owe them more than that. Um, when I said book two and this was hard, it was hard because of the subject matter. But there was plenty of subject matter and plenty of story, right? Right. You know, I knew that I, I would take Aeneas into this, this great love story, you know. So I knew I had that, and that was worth writing. I also knew I was going to be following the Odysseus character around his journeys, and there was plenty of story there that was worth writing. And I knew I was going to start the story and do the first two plays of, of Orestes' cycle, where, in this case, Peter um, Moretti comes home. I, and I don't want to ruin the, the book by telling you what happens, but there's this whole, you know, frankly, wonderfully noir plot that, that came out of Aeschylus's plays. So I, I, I knew that for book two, I had plenty of story. And mind you, otherwise, I would not have written this as a trilogy. <laughs> right? You're just, right. Yeah. Just jump ahead to the next thing, you yeah. know? Um, but I knew there was plenty of story here. And when I, when I said it was difficult, what I meant was it was difficult in terms of, of finding the right modern equivalents to those ancient stories. Um, and I screwed it up a bunch of times, you know, writing, frankly, stuff when I reread it was just stupid. 
<laughs> I, I've been there. I know exactly yeah, what you mean. What were you thinking? You know, yeah. I, I set this down for like a year or so, and then I came back to it and read it. You know, I had about 150 pages of book two, 100 of which I deleted. Mm. The, when, when you have a moment like that, is it is it this feeling, well, crap, I just lost 100 pages? Or is it like uh, – Okay, I can now get rid of those yeah. 100 pages because now the lock has turned. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's almost a good moment. You know, because you yeah, go, "Oh you man, mean. this idea that I spent, you know, months on was a bad idea." But I had to spend those months to know that it was a bad idea. Right. Right. Now I have a much better idea, much clearer road ahead of me, something that writes well. It makes sense because what I had written really didn't make sense. Right. It was implausible in a real world. Uh, and now and, and that's a very liberating kind of feeling. Sure. Yeah, I don't mind doing the work. Right. It's the, it's the work I love. Right. So now I get to write a different hundred pages and that's fine. That's good. Right. If the um, the difference between book two and book one uh, is like almost going from uh, black and white to technicolor in, mm-hmm. in a lot of yeah. senses. Yeah, I um, thought so too, actually. With a with a tonal shift like that from book one to to you know halfway into book two, mm-hmm. what does book three hold? <laughs> Another big tonal change. You know, because, again, um, I wanted three books. Otherwise, I would have written one book in three parts. Sure, sure. Right. But I wanted three books with a gap between them because I think the reader needed that gap. Yeah. You know, needs that gap. Um, and Danny needs that gap. Um, and and those tonal changes are needed. I think that you could pick up any of these three books and read them as an individual book. Well, I'll. Uh, I, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because I saw a review. Um, maybe it's on the NetGalley site. Um, not, I think that's where it was, where a reader had picked up book two, mm-hmm. and and I think it was a he. He said um, he was like, "This was such a great book. I, I felt like there were a couple of threads that I needed to be filled mm-hmm. in on, and I, I wish I would have read book one first. But this was a great book. You know that like he." Yeah. He had a, a satisfying experience. Good. I think he realized he could have had a more satisfying yeah. experience, but but it stood. And you know, I think that's a great testament to well, um, yeah. the ability of of a book inside a trilogy to just stand on its own. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, that it, it, it's hard to do. Um, you know, you have to give in a second and a third book people enough of a backstory. Yeah. That the threads hold, but not so much that, that you're just doing this data dump on them. Right. You know, which is really. Well, it's still like a rehashing at the beginning. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, that's why you write three books. But but that's what we owe the reader. Yeah. You know, it's like three very separate experiences, but then they can put them together and go, oh, wow. You know, there's that. And I feel the same way about book three. I think you could pick book three up. You know, and from page one, go on this ride with Danny and these other characters. And then later on, if you want to go back and see what happened before, great. But you don't need to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. After we talked last year, I went and got the audio book of City on Fire and listened to the audio after having read it. But it had been 
maybe a month and a half uh, since I had read it. And I experienced it all over again in audio. What a fantastic audio book. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Have you heard any of the book two audio? Uh, Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Oh, Good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, you know, I think that um, I think two things about this, you know, one is interesting to me because sometimes people ask me, well, do you mind if, if I do the audiobook instead of read it? I say, of course not, because we've been telling stories in various formats for millennia. Of course. And let's remember that the Iliad and the Odyssey were originally stories that were told. Right. Not read. Exactly. Told, you know, and the other thing I think about it is, is we sometimes forget that when people are reading a book, they hear the words in their minds. Exactly. That there is an auditory sensation to this that we need to pay attention to when we're writing. Great, great point. Well, the new book is City of Dreams. It is available everywhere now that you purchase books. We're going to put links to it in the show notes where you can grab it uh, from Amazon or Audible. uh, Or if you prefer, go visit your local bookstore and support local books as well. Um, Don, always fun to catch up. I love the new book. I'm telling everyone that they need to go grab it. Um, Tell folks where they can find you uh, online if they want to read about all the stuff you got going on. You can find me on my website, donwinslow.com. You can find me on Twitter, donwinslow Twitter. Excellent. We'll link those up as well. Don, Great, always so a pleasure to catch up. Thank you. My for pleasure, me. man. I appreciate your time. Okay. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.